This is the One Verse Podcast, where we liberate scripture from religion one verse at a time. Well, hello, everybody. Thanks for joining me for another episode of the One Verse Podcast. I'm your teacher for this podcast, Jeremy Myers. In this episode, we're going to be looking at the word Christ. You know, Jesus Christ. <laughs> and uh, Christ, obviously, is not the second name or last name of Jesus. It's not a name at all. In fact, it is a title. And so in this podcast episode, we will be seeing what that title is, what it means, and how that helps us understand the message of the gospel. Now, if you wanted to leave comments or questions about this podcast episode, you can do that just by going to redeeminggod.com slash Jesus. And I'm looking at the link right now, realized I misspelled it. It's, it says Kirst Jesus, so I'm going to have to fix that. But anyway, just go to Christ Jesus and it will be there. Or Kirst Jesus. <laughs> uh, and also, I need to warn you, someone has already found the post. I just published it a little earlier today before... Um, uh, recording this podcast episode, and a guy found it, and he thinks I'm a heretic for what I posted there, so uh, you don't need to get into arguments with him about it, though. I visited his Facebook page, and he's got Confederate flags all over the place, so on his Facebook page, so I don't really care what he thinks about me, or if he disagrees. In fact, it's a badge of honor to have him disagree with me. I'll take that any day of the week. Hey, if you like to read my books, I would also like to invite you to join my advanced reader team. Uh, What this is, is a group of people who want to get my books for free, and then in exchange, they read them and offer suggestions on how I can make them better. That's all optional. Ultimately, though, what I want you to do is leave a review on Amazon. So if that's something you would like to do, basically get my new books as I publish them in the future, I'll send you a copy of them, you read them, and then you leave a review on Amazon. If you want to do that, you can apply by going to redeeminggod.com slash A-R-T, Advanced Reader Team. You don't need to be an advanced reader to join the team. Advanced just means you get the books in advance in front of everybody else. And then you're going to read my team and it's a team of books. Or you're going to read my books and it's a team of people who do that. So Advanced Reader Team, A-R-T. To apply, just go to redeeminggod.com slash A-R-T. Hope to see you there. And I look forward to hearing what you say about my books as well. So with that in mind, let's dive into our study of the word Christ. So again, everybody knows who Christ is. In fact, sometimes you might hear, I often sometimes do this in my own teaching, you might just refer to Jesus. Sometimes people just refer to Jesus as Christ. And that's okay, but uh, what, is, what has happened with that is it causes people to think that Christ is a name. And it really isn't. It's more of a title. Uh, such as president or king or, uh, you know, uh, governor or something like that, okay? So it's a title uh, which which carries an office and symbolism and significance and all of that along with it, all right? So uh, Christ is actually a, a Greek word. The Greek word is Christos, and you can hear it there. So uh, the word Christ isn't actually a translation of the Greek word. It is a transliteration. I think I've talked about this in the past when we talked about baptism. Sometimes translators, rather than translate a word, they transliterate it. And all that means is they take the Greek letters, 
the alpha becomes an A, the beta becomes a B, and so on, and they just transliterate. They change the Greek letters into English letters, and then they call it good, okay? So you can hear that. Christos uh, is the Greek, and then Christ, Christ is, is the English, all right? And uh, uh, by the way, the Hebrew equivalent is Mashiach, and you probably heard that. We sometimes refer to Jesus as the Messiah, all right, so same thing there, not a translation, it is a transliteration. So Christ and the word Messiah are both the same words. One is in Hebrew, one is Greek, and of course Christ, Messiah themselves, those are our English transliterations. Okay, so what does the word itself mean? When we're talking about Messiah or Christ, what does it mean? Well, literally the word means anointed one. Okay, it's funny because uh, the guy who left the comments in the comment section, he, he calls me a heretic because he says it doesn't mean anointed one, it means savior. <laughs> well, no, actually, uh, the Greek word for savior is soter. Okay, so uh, not savior at all. Um, he's just confused about many, many things. Um, the word Christ, Christos, Messiah, Mashiach means anointed one. Okay, now, anointed for what? Well, you can go and look at numerous passages in the Old Testament where various people were anointed, usually with oil, but sometimes with the Spirit or something else, to accomplish a specific task. Okay, so maybe a person was anointed to be a king, right, such as David. Uh, maybe someone would be anointed to be a priest or a prophet like Isaiah, right? And so, uh, while the anointing upon these individuals was often performed with oil, uh, it later came to just sort of be a spiritual anointing by God. And God would, maybe we could even today, we'd call it a special gifting, something like that. God gives a certain person specific abilities, knowledge, desires, and skills in order to perform a certain task, okay? Now, having said that, I do want to clear up one area of confusion, Lots of people, when they hear the word Christ, they think that it means Jesus is God. So if you, if you are uh, here say Jesus is the Christ, some people say that is equivalent to Jesus is God. Okay, I, I want to let you know that the word Christ itself, or the Hebrew, Mashiach, has nothing whatsoever to do with being God. Okay, uh, I do believe Jesus is God incarnate, God in the flesh. I believe that, okay? So I'm not denying that. But all I'm saying is, when you say Jesus is the Christ, that is not the same thing as saying Jesus is God, God incarnate. Look, I can say the sky is blue, and I can say the sky is up. But that does not mean that blue is always up, or that up means blue, <laughs> okay? Uh, so so don't get confused. Some people make that confusion for or that... Um, uh, connection between the two words, Christ and, you know, God incarnate, and, and they're, they're not the same at all. And the reason that's important is because there are certain human beings in the Old Testament who are referred to as a Mashiach, all right, as a Messiah. Well, are they God incarnate? Are they God in the flesh? No, of course they're not. They were anointed by God to perform a certain task or function. So they're a Messiah, okay? But uh, they're not God incarnate. So, Anyway, uh, don't think, when you, when you read Christ, don't think God, and uh, that might help you. Uh, David, King David, King Saul, even um, Cyrus were all named as Messiahs, Mashiachs 
in, in the Hebrew scriptures. All right, so Christ, Messiah, basically it means someone who's a special anointing by God to perform a specific task or purpose. And, uh, you know, kings, prophets, priests, Jesus himself. Now, when we get into the New Testament, we have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, of course, the title of anointed one, uh, usually Christos, of course, in the Greek, is used almost solely in reference to Jesus Christ. All right? So even though in the Old Testament there were a few people, humans, who were called Mashiach, in the New Testament, it's only Jesus. And then Paul, the Apostle Paul, takes this a little bit further uh, so that it often refers not just to Jesus, but really all who are part of Jesus, uh, part of his church. And so in a way, the church of Jesus Christ, because we are in Christ, part of Christ, very Pauline terminology there, we are, in a sense, the Messiah to the world, all right? Uh, we are the, the hands and feet of Jesus, the voice and mouth and ears and eyes of Jesus to the world. And uh, that helps govern our behavior and how we interact with other people. So you can read more about that, Galatians 3, Ephesians 3, and so on. All right, so uh, what is the best translation then? Well, for a long time, I thought the best translation of Christ or Christos or Mashiach was anointed one because that's literally what it means. All right. And uh, the thing is, it's a little it's a little bit of a mouthful to talk about Jesus, the anointed one. All right. And besides that, uh, when we're referring to Jesus as the anointed one, are we thinking of him as a prophet, as a priest, as a king, as a judge? You know, what do we have in mind? Uh, well, the truth is, we have all of that in mind. So, frankly, although Christos uh, is could be translated as anointed one, I actually like the word Christ. This is one of the few times where I prefer, I'm glad that the Bible translators simply transliterated the word instead of translated. With baptism, I wish they would just translate it as immersion. I think that would make a whole lot more sense. And there's other other words as well. Uh, where I wish they would just, like gospel as well, I wish they would just translate that. Anyway, so I like the word Christ as a translation because it reminds us, points to us, that Jesus is sort of the fulfillment of every dream and hope of humanity. We look to priests, and we look to judges, and we look to kings, and we look to presidents to solve all of our problems. When the reality is, all of our problems are only going to be solved in and through Jesus Christ, all right? And so that is what the word Christ sort of wraps all that up. He is the hope and purpose and goal of the world, and um, we, we hang our hat on him, uh, not on any other human being, all right? So uh, that, that's sort of how I, I like the word, I like the word Christ. And it also does include the concept of a savior, of course it does, Lord, master, all of these concepts uh, of the identity and, and character of Jesus Christ, okay? So, to speak of Jesus as the Christ, uh, it, it, it not only has this governmental role of ruler and king, right, uh, but also a spiritual role of prophet and priest, legal role of judge and counselor, personal roles of friend and brother, all right? And the word Christ takes all of these beautiful picture, portraits, prophecies, of Jesus and wraps them up into one word. So I love the word Christ. Uh, it's just not a name. It is a title. And we can speak, when we're speaking of Jesus, the Christ, 
we're really speaking of Jesus as the anointed king, priest, prophet, judge, Lord, master, ruler, savior, friend, okay? That's what it means. And so it really is a beautiful and uh, a very full word to help us understand who Jesus is. Now, when it comes to the gospel, right, here is where we get a little bit of confusion because sometimes people think, and we're going to look at John 20, 31 in just a minute, that in order to receive eternal life, you have to believe that Jesus is the Christ. And John 20, 31 seems to say that. We will see in a minute that it doesn't. Uh, but they, you know, so sometimes people say, well, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ? And there's lots of people who say yes. But when you dig down into what they actually believe, you discover that although they may believe that Jesus is the Christ, they don't believe in Jesus for eternal life. All right, how do we receive eternal life? Simply and only by believing in Jesus for it. That's it. Now, understanding what the Bible teaches about the word Christ helps us believe in Jesus for eternal life. And then, once we've believed in Jesus for eternal life, understanding what the Bible teaches about Jesus as the Christ shows us how to live our life in light of our new identity, our family, being born again into the family of God. Okay, so Christ is, the concept of Jesus as the Christ, very, very central to the gospel, all right? Uh, but believing that Jesus is the Christ is not how you receive eternal life. There's many, many other benefits and blessings that come with knowing what it means for Jesus to be the Christ, but that's not how you receive eternal life. Um, but when we understand the role of Jesus as the Christ in the gospel, where it fits in that whole thing, and I, I go into great detail in this, by the way, in my course, The um, Gospel According to Scripture. There's this target truth. I, I won't try to get, get into it now, but for those of you who've taken that lesson, you know what I'm talking about. Understanding Jesus as the Christ is one of those things, those, those preparation truths and purification truths. It's, it's all in one that, that helps us uh, get to the place we can believe in Jesus, and then also helps us purify our lives once we have believed in Jesus, all right? And so uh, understanding that Jesus the Christ helps us know that if we have problems in our life, difficulties, situations, well, we can go to him in scripture or through prayer for help and answers and direction and guidance. And, uh, you know, serving Jesus as our Lord and master reminds us that we, we, we do not serve human kings or human presidents, uh, but only King Jesus, all right? Our affiliation is not to a political party, uh, but to the kingdom of God. So, so as Christians, as followers of Jesus, when we read about Jesus Christ in the Bible, by the way, Christ is right in our name, right? Christians, we're followers of Christ. We're little Christs. That's literally what the word Christian means, little Christ. Um, it, it's important to not over-spiritualize the word, you know, it's, it's really for life here and now. <laughs> if you're going to follow Jesus the Christ, then he has lots to tell you about how to live your life here and now, how to live with other people, how to treat other people, how to live in light of authority and live with responsibility and dignity and value and, and, and treat other people, okay? So as we're going to follow Jesus in all of those ways. He is, a, he is uh, the, the, the kingly and priestly ruler of all. That's Christ. All right, I've, 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 I've talked enough about that. Let's get into this verse, John 20, 31. There's numerous verses in the Bible that we could uh, go and look at how the word Christ, this understanding of Christ, helps us understand 
uh, that Bible verse. In fact, uh, if I remember correctly, there's only over 500 times the word Christ is mentioned in the New Testament. We're just going to look at one Bible verse in this podcast episode, and it's John 20, 31. In my course, The Gospel Dictionary, I do look at several others when we look at the word Christ there, but for this podcast episode, we're just going to do the one, John 20, 31, because it is confusing to some people. The verse says this. This is near the end of John's gospel, and he writes, But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. All right, so this is sort of the purpose statement of the gospel of John. In John's gospel, he has provided Uh, all sorts of teachings and miracles of Jesus, including these seven signs. And then, of course, the greatest sign of all, which is the death and resurrection of Jesus. And now, at the end of his gospel, John says, you want to know why I wrote this gospel? Here's why. These things I wrote so that you would believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that believing you may have life in his name. Now, if you've been paying attention to this podcast episode, this one verse seems to contradict everything I've said so far. So first of all, I've said you don't need to believe that Jesus is the Christ in order to receive eternal life. Well, this verse seems to disprove that. Secondly, I have said that uh, uh, saying Jesus is the Christ is not the same thing as saying Jesus is God. Well, this verse also seems to prove that. Believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. People say, see, see, <laughs> uh, Christ is defined as the Son of God. And so let's, let's uh, address both of those issues as we go forward in this verse. First of all, John is the gospel of belief. And over and over and over, 99 times in the gospel, we are invited to believe in Jesus for eternal life. Sometimes Christ is mentioned, sometimes not. All right, but the message is very, very clear. Overall, if you want eternal life, you believe in Jesus for it. You only believe in Jesus for it, not in your own good works, all right? Nothing else, not in your church attendance or whether you attend church. None of that stuff matters for receiving eternal life. Gospel of John, even the Apostle Paul, Peter, James, even everybody's very, very clear. Teachings of Jesus himself, very, very clear. If you want eternal life, you believe in Jesus for it. Okay, now. As I've talked about in previous studies and podcast episodes, (laughs) there's a lot more than just receiving eternal life, right? Um, We don't just receive eternal life and then sit on our butts, twiddling our thumbs while we wait to die so we can go to heaven. Some people live that way, and that is the wrong way to live. There's a lot more involved with following Jesus, being a disciple, a lot more that he wants for us in this life than just knowing that, you know, we're going to escape hell, go to heaven when we die sort of idea, which is a lot of people, what what some people have. And so the gospel of John, while it is the gospel of belief, and it does tell us how to receive eternal life, that's not the only thing the gospel of John is about. As we've learned in previous studies, John is also writing not only so that we can have eternal life, but so that we can have the abundant life, how to live life right, here and now, okay? And for that, how to live life the way God wants it, here and now, we need to understand that Jesus is the Christ, that he is Lord and Master, that he knows what he's talking about. He's the King and Ruler and Judge of the universe. And he has good input and good advice on how to live our life here and now. And the Gospel of John contains many, 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 many truths about that topic. 
Okay, the whole upper room discourse is all about that. As John gathers his disciples into the upper room before he is arrested and betrayed and sort of gives them these final instructions, it's all about, hey guys, you have eternal life. I'm so glad you do, but there's so much more and I'm going to be going away. So here's my final words of instructions for you on how to live. All right, and it's not just there, all over in the Gospel of John, there are instructions about how to live this life. And in fact, I would say, a rough estimate, 99% of the Bible is about this. Okay, 99% of the Bible is not about how to go to heaven when you die, or how to receive eternal life, or how to get justification, nothing like that. 99% of the Bible is about how to live your life here and now, and that's true of the Gospel of John as well. All right, so uh, John didn't write his gospel just for unbelievers. He also wrote it for believers on how to live life. And a big aspect of that is believing that Jesus is the Christ. Okay, Uh, recognizing what that means for our life. Again, he's Lord, judge, master, ruler, savior. All of those concepts are wrapped up in this concept of Christ. And so... John is, in the final verse of his gospel here, he's taking this, these sort of two twin themes, how to have eternal life and how to have the abundant life, John 10.10, 10, and wrapping them up together. And he is basically saying, I've written these things so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. This word life here, it's not referring just to eternal life, and it's not referring just to the abundant life, it's all of it. Life now, life in eternity, all right? And John has written for both ideas, both concepts in mind, and that's what the Gospel of John is about. So I hope you understand that part of the verse. Now, what about this concept, Son of God? Let me shock you a little bit. Maybe some of you will agree with my detractor who called me a heretic (laughs) after I say this. The phrase, Son of God, also does not equal God. All right? (laughs) To call someone the Son of God is not the same thing as calling them God. Again, we can go and look at numerous passages, starting, for example, in Genesis 6, where the sons of God come down and, well, let's just say they sleep with daughters of men, and then they have the Nephilim. It's a very, very strange, almost science fiction type passage there. But, but are, are we saying then that, that Jesus or other sons of God somehow came down and, and had children with daughters of men? You know, what's going on? No, of course we're not saying that. We don't know what those sons of God were in Genesis 6, but they definitely weren't Jesus Christ or other sons, you know, divine trinity beings or something. Nothing like that. That's insane. Okay, and we can go through numerous other passages from the Old Testament and the New Testament and see that the word Son of God is not equivalent to God. Now, the one reason we know this for sure here, and this is where John, you need to understand the purpose of the Gospels. John is being subversive. Back in the days of John and Jesus and the other apostles, there was a famous Caesar, Caesar Augustus. The greatest Caesar ever, he called himself. Caesar Augustus, that's basically what it means. The best Caesar ever. (laughs) And uh, he took many, many titles for himself. One of the titles he took for himself, you ready for this, was the Son of God. So Caesar Augustus claimed to be the Son of God. What he believed or what he taught, and by the way, there were Caesar Gospels that were written 
about his birth and the angels that visited him and his mother when he was born, messengers from heaven and how these these people from far off countries came and brought him gifts and worshipped him. All right, this is a Caesar gospel, and they were written uh, to celebrate uh, the the birth and death of the Caesars, and also basically to show that the Caesars were uh, had had become gods when they died. So this title, Son of God, basically meant that, uh, in some cases, it meant that one of the gods, maybe Zeus or somebody, had come down and slept with the Caesar's mother, and so that means that he was a son of a god. Sometimes, though, usually the way the Caesars meant this is that they had been adopted into the divine pantheon of the gods. And so uh, this this concept, son of God, is more about adoption, which, again, if you remember some of our previous studies, uh, adoption worked very differently back then than it does today. It's about privilege and responsibility. Uh, You could adopt somebody into your family even though they already had parents. It was sort of a way of uh, aligning or... Uh, forming an uh, an alliance between two families, sort of like you know some families, royal families today do with marriage. Uh, you could do that with adoption back then. All right. So there is an element here to sort of uh, a divinity of the divine family concept in the phrase "son of God," but it's not equivalent with God. All right. It means you've been uh, given royal reward and responsibility and privilege, and you've joined the royal divine family, sort of a concept. Um, and then at your death, you do become God, or, you know, if, if you lived in a way worthy of it. So so anyway, it does ultimately sort of get to God, and that is ultimately sort of the way Paul teaches about that in his writings, writes about that in his writings. But back in the days of John and Jesus, when they were living and ministering, it was a subversive way. When John wrote this, he's saying, you Caesar Augustus, you're not the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the only divine ruler, Lord, and master of this world. You, not you, Caesar. It's Jesus, right? And so that is, by the way, Prince of Peace, same thing. Caesar Augustus called himself the Prince of Peace. You ever heard of the Pax Romana, the Peace of Rome? That's where that comes from. So that's, again, why various New Testament authors refer to Jesus as the Prince of Peace. Yes, he brings peace. He's the only one who brings peace. Not Caesar, not kings, not presidents. It's Jesus, So anyway, lots of these titles for Jesus in the New Testament are subversive in that way. And back then, it would have been treason for somebody to say, Caesar's not, you know, uh, Caesar's not king, Jesus is king. Caesar's not Lord, Jesus is Lord. And so all of these concepts are wrapped up in that idea of Christ. So when when John writes here um, about believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, he's, again, it's this whole concept of Christ. Jesus alone is judge, Lord, ruler, master, okay? All of these concepts, not Caesar. And if you believe that, John says, then you not only, when you have life, eternal life, by believing in him, simply because he's going to give it to you, but when you believe in him as the Christ, the Son of God, that means that you're going to follow his commands, listen to his instructions, uh, go wherever he leads, even to the gates of hell if necessary. And that's where, <laughs> that is where Jesus sometimes leads us. John says, if you, if you follow him, you believe Jesus the Christ, and you follow him wherever he leads, then you will also have the abundant life that he promised you in John 10.10. 10. So that is the word Christ in the Gospels. Hope you've sort of understood now what it means a little bit more. It's not the second name or the last name of Jesus. It is a title. Like we think of king or president or governor or mayor, something like that. Okay. 
And of course it has all these concepts wrapped up into it. The things that we humans put our hope on in other leaders, all right? Whether it's CEOs or presidents or kings or mayors or whatever, oh, they're gonna fix things. Well, they might fix some things, <laughs> but usually human rulers just make things worse. Jesus, though, he always fixes everything. Why? Because he is the Christ. He knows what he's doing. He can be trusted. He can be followed. He can be believed. If you take that idea and apply it everywhere in the New Testament that you read about the Christ, Jesus the Christ, or Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus, you are going to see that this helps you understand that passage a little bit more. So listen, if you have questions or comments, just go to redeeminggod.com slash Christ Jesus, and you can leave them there. Also, I want to issue one more invitation to join my advanced reader team. If you like to read my books and want to get advanced copies of them for free before anybody else, maybe point out typo mistakes. If you're the type of person, you're in a restaurant and you see typos in the menu, you are the type of person I'm looking for. Okay, I want grammar mistakes, typos mistakes. I'm inviting you to point out my errors. <laughs> uh, and then after you read it, you can leave a review on Amazon. That also is an expectation for joining the team. Okay, uh, to apply, all you got to do is go to redeeminggod.com slash A-R-T. That stands for Advanced Reader Team. Part of that application process, by the way, is I need to know that you already know how to leave a review. So I do ask you to point to a review you've already left of a book on Amazon. Uh, I can't tell you in the past how many times I've invited people to join this team. They, oh, yeah, yeah, I'll read the book and leave a review. And then they read the book and they, oh, I don't know how to leave a review, so I'm not going to. <laughs> so I said, well, I need to know that you can leave a review before I invite you into the team. The application, all the instructions are there. Go to redeeminggod.com slash A-R-T. Hope to see you there. Thanks for listening. Oh, and by the way, I'm taking next week off from the podcast. Uh, I'm taking a trip with my wife. It is my 20th anniversary. <laughs> Very excited. So um, thank you for listening. And we'll see you in two weeks when we come back and look at another keyword from the gospel. See you then.